0: hit record is talk a little bit about the book the book called Deuteronomy Devarim and we know it's unique among the five books of the Torah in that it is said almost entirely in the first person in other words moshe says i i i again and again as opposed to in the book of books of First four books of the Torah, where it's and God spoke to Moses, saying. Here it's it's Moshe speaking in his own voice, so to speak. And if you look at that superficially at the first at first glance, it may look like the fifth book is at a lesser level of holiness. Moshe speaking in his own voice versus being simply a channel of God's voice in the first four books, but in fact that's not the case. The fifth book is as much god's word the divine word as the rest as uh, as the other books and in fact if we dig deeper we're going to find that there's an even greater measure of connectivity to the to to god's essence that comes through in the fifth book than in the other books and we have clearly in the teachings of our sages that moshe is speaking yes in his own voice i he's speaking in his own words But this is the voice of God coming through him in the fifth book as well. And so just for example, we know that a Torah scroll has to be absolutely complete. We're learning about it in in, Laws of Maimonides' laws these days. Every letter is critical. If you're missing one letter of the Torah, the whole Torah is not kosher. And that is not only with the first four books, that applies to the fifth book as well. If one letter is missing from the fifth book of the Torah... That Torah is not a Torah till it's fixed. So what, what is this? What's going on here with this fifth book? Why is it different? Why is it in, in Moshe's uh, in the first person? And how do we see or how, how, how can we see that this is, in fact, a deeper, greater expression of God through Moshe? So the Rebbe explains it as follows. He says that what's happening here that's different is now the Jewish people are actually about to go into the land of Israel. They're at the entrance. They're at the gateway to the land of Israel. And so the first four books are kind of introductory. They are uh, laying the foundations, but in a way they're theoretical because the Jewish people haven't yet gone into um, the place where they're going to fulfill their mission. It's kind of the training training in, in Book of Numbers, certainly the training they're going through Ups and downs are questioning God in the book of Numbers. Um, but it's only in, in after this book will they actually go into the land with Joshua? And so it's important when we're making that shift to speak in a different voice. And so Moshe is in a way getting 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 uh, you know, lowering himself, so to speak, to speak to the people in a way that is going to be very, very concrete and applicable in their new life so the first four books are more abstract they're more more in the training more in the theoretical and the fifth book is Moshe speaking to the people really at their level and how they're going to to be in their new life and another big difference between these two between the, the four and the five is that Until this point, they're living a very spiritual existence, as we've talked many times, a very miraculous existence. And now they're going to be going into a world that is not so miraculous. They'll still have miracles here and there, but in comparison to their life from the Exodus until here, where they have major miracles of the Exodus and the splitting of the sea, the mana, and so forth, suddenly they're going to be living in a natural world. And so there's a shift going on. And, and the fact that we have a new type of uh, communication from Mo, from God through Moshe in the fifth book is because of that shift that's going to happen with the Jewish people, just as the Jewish people are going into, going further away, so to speak, from the from divine revelation. They're going into the quote-unquote real world, into the natural world. Similarly, Moshe is now speaking in his own voice and channeling God's word in a way that is going to speak to them in their new, um, in their new role in in the world, so that's the reason why there's a change in how the Torah is being conveyed from the first four books to the fifth book. I'm just thinking about it now. We have that in Pirkei Avot. In the first Mishnah, Pirkei Avot, that we have five stages of of uh, the transmission of Torah from Moshe, from Sinai, Moshe to Joshua, Joshua to the elders, elders to the prophets, the prophets to the men of the great assembly. And the Rebbe there explains that these five five degrees from Moshe all the way to the men of the great assembly represent not just the history of the transmission of the Torah, but also the, the way that each of us experiences Torah study and application of Torah in our own life. And what he says there is that the first four are theoretical, they're preparatory, they're getting you ready. And it's the fifth one, which is about how does Torah, it's where the um, where the rubber hits the road. How does the Torah actually manifest itself in our lives in the real world? So it's interesting uh, parallel where the fifth book is also connecting to the real world. The, the second point, though, is... Um, how do we see that in this fifth book, not only is it not a, um, not only are we not going down in holiness, but in fact, we're going up. And the Rebbe says something very beautiful. He says, you would think that when Moshe is speaking in his own voice, that's a lesser degree of humility, of of devotion, of, um, of dedication to God. Whereas if if he's just repeating God's words, then that's the absolute humility, the the absolute self-nullification. The Rebbe says counterintuitively, no. that in fact, when a person is just repeating God's words and in that type of self-nullification, there is actually not a complete self-nullification. There's not a complete dedication. Why? Because what it says is that as long as I am completely self-nullified in the presence of God, then I am in a state of dedication. But once I would start using my own voice, once I would start taking the world into consideration, the the, the recipient of my words into consideration, and having to tailor my words so that I'm speaking to them and they are going to get, they're going to really receive what I'm saying, then I'm moving. You would think I'm moving away from from connection to God. Says no, the opposite. If you can only be um dedicated to god in a way that of absolute dedication where you cannot think about the recipient and how to convey it in a way that would be receptive, receptive to them then there's a there's a then the dedication is is not complete because it says there's a place where the dedication won't doesn't work but if I'm able to remain dedicated even in a place where I'm allowing Um, for the existence of something that is outside of of God consciously and to be able to bring divine consciousness there, that's an absolute dedication. I'm saying I'm dedicated in all circumstances, even in a place where I need to tailor my words to be understood to, to um, those who may not have a divine consciousness. So actually it's in the fifth book where Moshe is, is doing this dance where on the, on the one hand, he's channeling God's word, but at the same time, he is doing so in a way that to convey the words to the people in a way that will be receptive to them. In, the, in that, in that uh, role, he is expressing a dedication to God and a self-nullification that surpasses, surpasses the dedication and self-nullification that we have in the first four books. So that kind of complex um, idea is a very beautiful idea and gives us a great introduction to this book of Deuteronomy and understanding not only that that not only are we um do we have the same holiness as the first four books but in fact we've we've we're experiencing something that is even higher than the first four books we also have this idea with the book of deuteronomy that it has to do with teshuva with repentance in fact there's a custom that on the night of hoshana Rabbah, which is the last day of the period of of uh, repentance of teshuva the annual Um, the annual season of repentance, which starts pretty soon in the month of Elul, the first day of Elul, one month before Rosh Hashanah, that goes through the full month of the 30 days in preparation for Rosh Hashanah. Then it goes to Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, even Sukkot, even though Sukkot is a celebration, but still we are doing the Hoshanot, we're asking God for, for, we're still praying for a good year. And where it ends, where that period of, of repentance, and I mean, repentance never ends, but that special period of repentance ends just before, on the last day of Sukkot. Once we go into Shemini at Simchat's Torah, then we're in a new a new season. So it's on that last night, the last night of that season, customary to stay up the whole night, but it's also customary to read the book of Deuteronomy, the entire book from beginning to end. And the reason for that is because the book of Deuteronomy is the book of Teshuvah, the book of repentance. Why is that? Because what is Moshe going to tell us in this book? He's going to tell us, I know you're going into the land of Israel, the land of Canaan, and I know you're going to mess up. You're going to be attracted to the idolatry and so forth. So really what the message of the book is that even if you've messed up, you can still Um, you can still repent. You can still come back. And so the message of Devarim is talking to the Jewish people about repentance. And so um, another beautiful idea to keep in mind as we go through this book of Devarim that it's about, it's really the book of repentance. So that, in short, is an introduction to the book of Devarim. And I also wanted to mention that I made a mistake yesterday and I said that Moshe begins the book of Devarim on the first of Adar, which was which is not the case. He began the the speaking these words of Devarim, his rebuke. He started that on the first of Shavat, the eleventh month of the of the year. Is Shavat, not Adar. Adar is the twelfth month. So it was actually thirty six days before his passing. He passed on the seventh of Adar, and he started his speech on the first of Shavat, the eleventh month. And so his speech went for 36 days. It was a 36-day speech. I think it broke a record or made the record. And uh, that goes. So the, the um, and, and, and again, what he's talking about in this speech, he's rebuking the people as we saw yesterday a little bit. That The rebuke will go until the beginning of, of next week's Parsha, and then afterwards there is a review of the laws and also some new laws that are being introduced in this book of Deuteronomy. So with one minute left, before we go to questions and comments, I'll just do one verse that we missed yesterday, and that is verse four, where... Um, The Torah tells us when Moshe started this rebuke, verse 4. It says, after he had smitten Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Cheshbon, and Og, king of the Bashan, who dwelt in Ashtarot in Edrei. Rashi tells us two things about this verse. First of all, he says that Moshe waited to rebuke them until after he had Conquered Sichon and Og, these two great powerful kings. The second thing that Rashi says is that the verses emphasizing, even though we know where Og was and we know where, where Sichon was, the verses emphasizing these were strong kings and they were strong places. Um, and so a strong king in a strong place, wow, to be able to conquer them, that's that's a big feat. And why did he wait until after conquering these two kings? The answer is that when you rebuke somebody, right? That's always a tricky, dangerous thing. It can backfire. It can have the opposite effect of what you're trying to do. And one of the tricks, the hacks, if you want to be successful at rebuke is you have to, I mean, the, the crux of the issue is the person has to feel that you're rebuking them out of love, that you're, you're doing it for their sake. And there's always that risk that a little bit of ego comes through and it's about you're venting or you're holier than thou or you're angry and or, or the rebuke could be coming from another place. So how what's one way of showing that is coming from a place of love? If you do something good for the person, if you help them in their lives, then they become more receptive to what you have to say, oh, this person cares about me, and he's telling me something, maybe I should listen. And so Moshe waits till after he has conquered Sichon and Og, he has begun the process of conquering the land of Israel. And so it it makes the jewish people more receptive to what he has to say and we saw yesterday again this idea of rebuke being a tricky thing that Moshe, that the timing is very important so yesterday we saw that he's doing it just before his death 36 days before his death and here we say we see it's also not just the timing in his life but also what he has done for them that makes them more receptive to what he is going to say so we'll pause there and open it up to questions and comments.
1: Well, I, I was thinking about um, the shift that you talked about uh, Deuteronomy from as they entered the promised land from the miraculous world to the natural world. I mean, all the miracles, all the signs along the way, which I guess help people to stay in faith, although they made enough, they messed up enough even then, which is human, right? But even more so, the chance to mess up, once you get to the natural world, like now, we don't have these kinds of signs much. I mean, it happens maybe occasionally, but um, wow, what a challenge that is. So um, really important to understand that it's going to take a lot of depth in, in each of us to, to maintain that, that surrender to God
0: excellent point excellent point it is, it's a lot harder and um, but it's important of course I'm just stating the obvious is important in order for us to fulfill the goal of creation that we're able to and we've done it the Jewish people have been incredibly incredibly uh, in thousands of years where we haven't seen these miracles on an ongoing basis again like you said we do have them occasionally but you know the prophets even talk about it we don't have, we don't have, um, we're in an era where we don't have the prophecy. We don't have the revealed miracles. And yet we've been able to, to stick with the program. And we're still here thousands of years later studying God's Torah and doing the mitzvot. It's really an incredible, incredible accomplishment and much, a much greater accomplishment, obviously, than, than uh, remaining dedicated to God in, in an environment of, of the miraculous. And it shows that, you know, this is real, that it can be done even in the material world, in the natural world where God is, is hidden.
1: Maybe that's a miracle in itself. <laughs> yes, absolutely.
2: Is the Mashiach, that, uh, when we go back to those miracles again, is that we're going kind of looping back around? Is that what it's intended to be?
0: That's a good point about the times of Mashiach. So in our in our JLI course about Mashiach, we talked a little bit about that. And according to Rambam Maimonides, the time of Mashiach, at least at the beginning, does not require any miraculous phenomenon. Um, so that that's not at least not at the beginning. But yes, there it does describe a more miraculous time
1: um, after the, the initial stages of Mashiach. Bruce, I see you have your hand up. Yes, and you've kind of answered, you have answered the question, but it's amazing after 40 years in the wilderness and having everything provided for them their food, their clothing, their water, everything that they didn't just get everybody, you know, fat and lazy. <laughs> and, you know, it's like you don't want to do too much for your kids because you want them to have that drive. And it's, that's a miracle also. Right. Great point.
0: Yeah. And we do see the Jews did mess up. But, uh, you know, we always we've seen this already a few times where the Torah gives a kind of contradictory report of the Jewish people in the desert. And I think that the uh, the explanation is that there were elements within the people that that really struggled. And, you know, people are also complex. So, you know, just was reminded of it. With the story of Moshe's passing, right, and and the rebuke, you see the people still ready to deflect his rebuke and say, "Oh, if I had been there, you know." We learned yesterday that um, you know Moshe wanted all the Jewish people to be there because if somebody wasn't there, it said, "Oh, I would have answered this or that to Moshe's claims." So you still had this, uh, you know, this ability to this kind of conflicted relationship with Moses, their teacher, where on the one hand, you know, when he said that. the the last mission they didn't want to this was from last week's partial the last mission that moshe had the jewish people didn't want to get involved with it because they knew after that mission was complete moshe would die and they didn't want him to die so on the one hand there's the great love for moshe and on the other hand uh they're also critical so it's it's a it's a complicated thing so even in the desert with all the miracles they still manage to maintain their their free choice but as you said You know, that could be a part of it where everything is being taken care of for you. Um, It could have a negative impact as well.
1: I have one more question. Do you think there's any, what is the meaning, do you think, behind the fact that everything written in the the Torah is uh, the first year and the very last month?
0: Well, it's it's the second to last month, the eleventh month. Um, that this happened, so I'm not sure what you mean, Bruce. That everything- I mean, is there any,
1: what do people say about the silence of the thirty-eight years plus?
0: Oh, okay. So you mean that there's no, we don't have, we don't have much of teaching
1: during that time. Yes, what's said about that or thought about that silence? I
0: mean, we do we do have teachings throughout that time. It's the, this is really the review of a lot of those laws that were taught in that time. Um, but there's no
1: stories, no other lessons. Yeah.
2: Yeah,
0: that's a good point. It's a good point. I think during these 40 years, the Jewish people are absorbing, you know, as we've learned in the past, that it takes 40 years for, I mean, 40 in general, the number 40 is a time of transformation. And 40 years, Talmud says specifically, it takes for a teacher to for a student to really internalize what a teacher is saying. So um, perhaps that's, you know, just think off the top of my head, perhaps that's what what's going on here is that there's absorbing and internalizing. Of the ideas that have been taught, and then it, again, right before they go into the land of Israel, it's being taught at a, in a different way as a preparation for, for real life in the real world.
2: Is is there a um, concept of as hard as it is, it can be done? Because they, you know, things get a little wiggy at the beginning. Everybody then gets their mind right, if you will, put it that way. And they do 38, 39 years and 10 months or 11 months of getting it right. Right. So there is, they get into their groove, they get, you know, and um, so it can go well. Yeah. And then at the end, maybe this goes, now, this has been good. Right. However, let's do a little recap. Right, like we were. Let's throw the PowerPoint up and go through some things. Right. Right.
1: Interesting. There was not one other korach or anything like that.
2: Nothing. Yeah.
0: Right. Right. That's a good point. The lesson lesson was learned.
1: What's What's the old old saying? Uh, Moses could get uh, the Jews out of Egypt, but he had a hard time getting Egypt out of the Jews. Right. Right.
2: Well, that, that's an interesting also. If you think about nations' existence over the years, they have this troubled beginning or whatever, something, what it takes to get it going. And then they have their run. And then something happens at the end. Right. So there's the something goes right for a while and then it doesn't. You know, you, you take your eye off the ball. Right. And it's kind of an interesting lesson in itself. Yeah. To think, we, you know. We have an expression, it's called Kolhatkalot Kashot,
0: that all beginnings are difficult. And so that's a yeah, you know, I guess a great way to put it is, you know, we see the beginning are difficult, and now we're going now we're starting another beginning, the going into the land of Israel. So we're getting ready for that. Well, Thank you. gentlemen, this has been, been long... in the
1: uh, incubator, as Wolby would say that no greatness comes without that incubator period, which is like the sanctuary city. Right, right. Excellent.
0: Okay, well, gentlemen, thank you so much for another wonderful Torah morning. And we take the lessons of the Parsha into our day and look forward to see you tomorrow. Same time, same place.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all.